0: today I had the honor of reconnecting with Esther Blum who had one of the most popular podcasts with me of 2023 episode 264 Esther is the best-selling author of multiple books including see you later ovulator she's a registered dietitian and she maintains a busy virtual practice where she helps women balance hormones lose stubborn body fat and treat the root cause of her health struggles. Today we spoke at great length about the state of hormones in 2024, including lazy medicine, advocacy, menow washing, meno care, and so much more. We reviewed uncommon symptoms related to perimenopause and menopause, ways to get testing, and some of her favorite supplements. I know you will love this conversation as much as I did recording it. Welcome back, my friend. I've been looking forward to this conversation.
1: Thank you, Cynthia. You know, I adore you. I'm so excited to be here. Likewise. And so obviously one of the most popular podcasts from
0: 2023 was our discussion. My community loves you. I thought we could talk about the state of hormones for 2024 because I am probably much like you across social media, in your DMs, in your emails, women are still struggling to find competent good information about their bodies, about perimenopause and menopause, about HRT. And one common theme that keeps coming up for me is women saying like, I'm so excited. I just found this new insert GYN, NP, midwife, PA, et cetera. And this is what they prescribed me for hormone replacement therapy. I was like, great, what did they give you? And then I realized it's actually not HRT. It's actually oral contraceptives. And I'm curious if this is a theme that you have been seeing? Do you feel like there's still this degree of misinformation? I have to believe it's well meaning but prescribing perimenopausal women or menopausal women who be better served with getting hormone replacement therapy to try to convince them that, that oral contraceptives are the same thing, I think is duplicitous.
1: It is. And often I'm going to call it out for what it is, which is lazy medicine. On one <laughs> hand, it's lazy medicine. You know, it really is egregious on one hand. And on the other hand, it is that doctors are taught to fear Hormones. Even though the FDA has approved the use of bioidentical hormones, those bioidentical hormones still have black box warning labels on them. Even though the pill and oral contraceptives, oral synthetic estrogens have a documented higher risk of stroke and clot and transdermal estrogen does not, doctors are still terrified to prescribe it. Even though the pill is estrone and synthetic estrogens, and transdermal is, um, you know, if you're getting biased cream, it's estriol and estradiol. And if you're getting the patches, estradiol, it is still so much safer and so much better than the pill. It's like a microdose. It's a fifth of the dose of the pill. Yeah. So how is it that a dietician and a nurse practitioner are sitting here talking about this and it's not given to women? This knowledge is not given to women in medical offices. This is what makes me bang my head against the wall, but also gets my ass out of bed every morning. Like We got to change this.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's interesting to me, my mom's generation, our mom's generation, they were really impacted the most by the, WHI, the Women's Health Initiative, which I know we've talked about extensively on this podcast multiple times, but that generation of women were largely taken off of all of their HRT. And my mom will openly talk about what happened to her. You know, she started having terrible pain, arthritic pain in her hands and her feet. She was prescribed Vioxx in lieu of being taken off of estrogen. And then there was the whole debacle about Viox, these COX-2 inhibitors. And, you know, I think a lot of women were dealing with brittle bones, chronic inflammation and oxidative stress, poor quality sleep, dry vaginas, which I know we'll talk about. And I just think in a lot of ways, we have chronically underserved women in middle age. And my hope and my intent, and, and certainly our voices, the voices of a lot of our colleagues on social media, hopefully we're helping to amplify Allowing women to have good information to make good decisions. And for every woman listening, listen, I understand you may decide not to take HRT, and there is no judgment on our part. We just want you to be able to make a good decision based on your risk factors, based on your health, with a qualified practitioner that's going to be able to honor your needs. And that's really clear. One thing that I have been Surprised by is how much gaslighting persists over another topic when women want a baseline of their hormone levels. And I acknowledge hormones are chemical messengers. Hormones for a lot of us may change day to day, hour to hour, depending on where you are in this perimenopause journey. But I've had more people come back to me and say, My healthcare practitioner said it is useless, quote unquote, to test hormones. What are your thoughts surrounding this? Do you think this is improving? Do you think more women are advocating for themselves? And that's why they're seeing more pushback? What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I don't think the testing is improving. Because again, doctors, again, who are not trained in functional medicine don't understand that you can do a saliva test and look at your tissue saturation of hormones, you can do a 24 hour urine collection, you can do a Dutch test. And guess what, blood is still accompanying all these tests. So, okay, your hormones may be fluctuating up to 30% on any given day. That is absolute truth. However, your baseline of hormone fluctuations can still be tested. So if you're fluctuating Now, in six months from now, are you still fluctuating or have those numbers come down? Each of us can tell when they've come down because guess what? Sleep takes a hit, irritability comes back, brain fog, no endurance at the gym or to work out, no energy. You know, we start to get, or depression and anxiety kicks up. So we know our bodies and there are plenty of doctors that just put women on hormones that are like, fine, we're just going to put you on it. And they don't test, they treat symptomatically. I certainly am not one to let perfect be the enemy of done, but you should know your levels. It does help. It does matter. And I think, especially because you have to have your hormones at a certain baseline to prevent bone loss, to prevent cardiovascular risk, to prevent loss of gray matter in the brain. So specificity is helpful. But if you tell me, you know what, my doctor put me on it and has it monitored, I'll be like, okay, I'm still grateful you're on hormones at the end of the day. And now let's get you some testing.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I just interviewed Dr. Lisa Moscone, who was so lovely. And for anyone that's listening, that podcast will be out in March around the time of her new book coming out, The Menopause Brain. And she is this acclaimed, well-respected brain researcher. And she was kind of talking about how she became interested in aging brains and how little research in 2016 had been done on aging brains in women. And she said, I just could not believe the lack of research. So she is now creating a whole catalog of information. And I'm actually going to go to New York to get my brain scan because I want to know what is going on in my brain. And to your point, we know that we we need our estrogen levels to be at a certain level to help protect our brain, our heart, our bones. And I think on a lot of different levels, that whether it's serum testing or otherwise, and stay tuned for what Dr. Moscone said about being able to test for estrogen levels in the brain. This is kind of cutting edge technology. To me, it was really interesting that even brain health researcher was saying, I think it's important to have a sense of what those levels are. So at least we have something to gauge. Against And so I agree with you wholeheartedly. I want to pivot a little bit and talk about another hot topic is that menopausal women don't have sex. And I don't say this to be tongue in cheek. It is really a lack of understanding like outside the United States, vaginal estrogen is available over the counter. I'm going to say that again vaginal estrogen outside the United States. There are countries where you can go into your pharmacy and you can pick up a tube of vaginal estrogen. Whereas here, I think, I believe it still has that black box warning on it. And yet it's one of the safest things. It's not a systemically absorbed product. And I think for a lot of women out there, even in the latter stages of perimenopause, and especially if you're a thin woman, you're going to have less estrogen stores. You are very likely going to have that terrible terminology—they call it genitourinary symptoms of menopause. I mean, gussum. I mean, what a terrible—or the senile vagina, as uh, Kelly Kasperson calls it. <laughs> Not that she called it, but she was reminding me that that was a term that had been used in her presence. And so she thought that was terrible too, the senile vagina. But how many women don't realize that they don't have to live with these symptoms and that there is a fairly easy fix and tie into that urinary tract infections, incontinence, leakage. I mean, these things don't have to be normal. How many of my cardiology patients, I'm sure you probably saw them in the hospital too, They were on these powerful anticholinergic drugs to address the overactive bladder when probably what they needed was some vaginal estrogen, which is such an easy way to prevent chronic UTIs, to deal with all these symptoms. I know you had an amazing reel when you're talking about the speculum and what women go through. I mean, me I grabbed my hard. grill
1: tongs. Yes, and you know, I watched my mother. I mean, I took her to the doctor to get Botox injections in her bladder when all she needed was vaginal estrogen, and she was also pulled off her estrogen with the Women's Health Initiative study. So, with you know, regarding vaginal estrogen the framingham nurses study looked at women for 18 years on vaginal estrogen there was no change in serum blood concentrations of estrogen and even now oncology doctors are getting hip to saying hey you know what even if you've had treatment for ovarian uterine breast cancer like this is a quality of life issue we don't want you to atrophy and so it is incredibly safe it does stay localized and if you are still wary though of using vaginal estrogen you can certainly use vaginal dhea which has the same effect on rebuilding collagen in the vaginal walls and by the way when you apply this all ladies you should put it on the clitoris and the urethra because clitoral atrophy is a very real thing now, my buddy who we know, our girl, Suzanne Fensky, also taught me that she has her patients apply topical oxytocin to the labia and the clitoral area to really enhance mm-hmm. sexual sensation, arousal, pleasure, because a lot of women with clitoral atrophy, you know, this is why they are turning to vibrators because they need a stronger sensation, right, than just penetration or even oral sex to actually achieve orgasm. So, you know, that's why there's like three engine speeds on those lovely devices, because, you know, some women truly need a really strong sensation to do it. But the good news is, you know, there are solutions out there now. Yes, you do have to get oxytocin compounded, you have to get DHEA compounded, and you have to get testosterone you can also use like vaginal testosterone along with estrogen those are more compounded but there are bioidentical estrogen creams like Estrace that you can get FDA approved you know through your insurance at your regular pharmacy and that can help with libido okay but also what we forget about libido with women okay this is like the coolest thing orgasms start in the brain and women i mean that's why you can have orgasms in your sleep, just like men can ejaculate in their sleep, right? But women can have orgasms in their sleep. And, you know, that brain connection, that connection with our partner is actually really important. And I think a lot of women lose their libido in midlife because they've been married probably on average 20 years, maybe 30 years. And it's like, same old, same old. Let's just do, you know, the five minute quickie. We're exhausted. We just put the kids to bed. We know we want to do this, but then we have to get up to the next morning for a meeting. There's like no time for romance right now. So, and like you can always change the time of day, you know, in the morning or scheduling it. I mean, I love to tell the story of my parents, like Wednesdays and Saturdays were their quote unquote nap time. And we were <laughs> like, <laughs> At my mom's funeral, I told that story. The rabbi was like blushing furiously, and I was like, "Spoiler alert, guys, we knew you weren't napping. They had a stack of playboys and playgirls in their bureau that we all knew about. and my mom was an amazing needle pointer, and she had a needle she had two pillows that I still have hanging in her closet, like these old needle point pills. One said, "Sex cures headaches," and the other one said, "A hard man is good to find." <laughs>
0: I'm progressive. <laughs> so, I love
1: it. And they were married, you know, well over 50 years. So, like, I think you just you have to make it a priority in your marriage. I think, you know, for a lot of us, myself included, physical drive has definitely decreased and I'm on, you know, full hormone cocktail from topical to vagina. And still it's like, I have to make the effort sometimes. I don't always feel, you know, arousal, but once it gets started, I'm like, okay, yeah, right. This is good. This is all good. But we really have to, you know, focus on our connection with our partner.
0: Ignites Metabolism the antibodies IgG, Biome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. At some point, we've all been sold a big slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. I think that's such a good point, Esther. I'm so glad that you brought that up. And a couple things just to touch on. Oxytocin, intravaginally or placed on the clitoris. That is a new one. I have actually oxytocin, intranasal oxytocin in my refrigerator that I haven't yet tried. It just arrived. I'm super excited to try it. But oxytocin is one of these hormones that is involved in orgasm and bonding and all these other things, but it helps decrease cortisol. So if you're like super stressed, this is why sometimes the things we don't think we need to do when we're stressed are actually the things that are going to be most helpful. So just to understand that interrelationship with oxytocin and having an orgasm can help reduce cortisol. So that's certainly powerful. The very first physician that I worked with that did HRT, and this is a very patriarchal comment that I'm going to just say what he said to me, he used intravaginal DHEA that was compounded. He called it jungle juice. And I used to always chuckle. I was like, I think you need a different name. Like that may appeal to you <laughs> as a dude, but like as a woman, no, I that's yeah, just call it yeah. vaginal DHEA and we'll just go with that. I look forward to interviewing Susan on the podcast later this yes. year. I also think about over the counter options like Anna Kabeca's product that's she's designed herself that there's no junky fillers, DHEA, the coconut Jolfa. oil. Right. And she always says clitoris to anus. So it's important to be making sure that you're using Jolva or any of these topical applications and understanding that it's not just the vulva, the vagina that need the replenishment of these hormones. It's that it's this entire genitourinary system. And I find for a lot of women, they start getting a lot of itching and just discomfort. And so, you know, if you're having those symptoms, please know that there's a solution. Sometimes you have to see a specialist, you know, there are these, I always say GYNs that are also urologists. So very, very specialized. I saw one once because I had this chronic UTI pattern that we couldn't seem to break. And I remember thinking he was the most kind thoughtful person I'd ever met. I just kept thinking you really have to like women in particular if you're working in this occupation. So kudos to the GYN urologists that are out there because that is a very, 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 very specialized area of medicine.
1: It is. And you know, it's funny. I'm glad you had a good experience. I went to a a GYN urologist because I was peeing like seven times a night and didn't understand. I had Pelvic floor dysfunction. So he did an exam. He's like, "Oh my god, it's like cement in there." I mean, oh zero god. bedside manner. Oh, but you know, he was like, "You've got to get pelvic floor therapy." So I found a lovely pelvic floor therapist who I fondly call my magician, my hope.
0: <laughs> and
1: you know, I think that is another huge piece. You know, I always say like hormones alone don't do the heavy lifting. If you have a weak pelvic floor right, or a weak saddle, you need to do strengthening and stretching exercises. If you have a tight pelvic floor, you need to do stretching, strengthening, but also releasing the trigger points in the vaginal walls. There are wands you can use that you gently insert in the vaginal walls and you press against the trigger points to release them. Because a lot of us, you know, we store, we clench, like, oh, you know, we're in a perma kegels. If you're type A like me, but, and you know, you're not going to pee your pants, but you're also not going to empty your bladder. The other extreme, when you've got the weak pelvic floor, right? That's when you're leaking, when you pee, sneeze or cough or jump. So either way pelvic floor therapy is it's PT for your vagina. And the good news is orgasms are PT for your vagina too, right? Oh, yeah, they really are. If you've got a weak pelvic floor. Now some women also can't achieve orgasms because their pelvic floor is so weak. They can't poo or pee properly because their pelvic floor is so weak. So the good news is all fixable. It takes a little time and consistency, but it's really all fixable and can dramatically change the quality of your life. I mean, I was peeing seven times a night when I went to my first urologist GYN. And after that, after pelvic floor PT, we got down to like one to two times a night, which is such a game changer. So, uh, but again, nobody's talking about this, right? Like I would go to my GYNs, I'm peeing all the time. She was like, well, stop drinking water after four. You know, there was nothing, no offering, no internal exams. And I was like, how are there not pelvic floor PTs in GYN offices? This should just be part of the practice. There's also um, laser therapies at, you can do too to tighten the vaginal canal. Oh boy, there's uh, Mona Lisa I believe and Thermavi are two commercial names that you can look at and you are given a topical anesthetic. The treatment lasts around three minutes. you have to go a couple times a year and it's pretty simple to do. So many amazing exciting options you can do, which yeah. is great.
0: No, I think the option piece, what's interesting is pelvic floor therapy is standard of care in most other countries. Like I'm going to keep saying this standard of care in most other countries that as soon as you are done delivering a baby, you go to see a specialized physical therapist for pelvic floor therapy. Number two, if you're going to use a laser near your vagina, please make sure you go through a clinician. I think there's a lot of these well-meaning wellness centers anti-aging centers, and you want to make sure the person that is utilizing those kinds of devices on such a delicate part of your body is actually someone who's aware of the anatomy, physiology, and is being really... Because I've had friends that have had mixed reviews with these. I've never actually done it. But if I needed to consider it, I would be going to a clinician because I do think that it's important or someone that's working within a clinician's office so that you know this individual has specialized training. Because there are women who've been burned because they are working with someone who Mm. doesn't know what they don't know. And you and I both know what that means. And sometimes people can end up having an untoward event. But yes, it's good that there are options. And it's not like if you do vaginal estrogen, you can't also do pelvic floor therapy. It's almost like a, you know, it's like a platter, you can take what you need and put back what you don't need. But knowing that there are options, you don't need to suffer needlessly, I think is a really important point. Now, one thing that I've been reading about, it mm. doesn't impact me because all of my hormones are compounded, but there appears to be an HRT shortage. And it's not just unique to the United States, it sounds like it is happening outside the United States. And if you're listening, it's probably the standard therapies, the things that are covered by insurance that tend to be inexpensive. So probably the patches, the oral progesterone, which is dirt cheap. I don't fully understand or appreciate is it a, it can't possibly be that the demand has risen so rapidly that these pharmaceutical companies can't keep up. I'm curious to know, because I'm sure there's never been a Viagra shortage.
1: Well, amen to that. Yes, absolutely. It is interesting. I mean, right now, I believe this statistic is a whopping 4% of women are using HRT. That's it.
0: Here in the US. Um,
1: what I have learned in 2023 was that Compounding pharmacies are we really have to protect and support and give money to compounding pharmacies because the FDA is in the midst of making four different hormone cocktails for women. That's it. I don't know even if that is patch and permetrium. I don't know if they're gonna to be topicals versus vaginal. I, I don't know exactly what those cocktails are going to entail, but Certainly, you know, if pharmaceutical companies can make a buck off of this meno washing, as it's called, right? <laughs> Mennow washing, then they're going to do it. I wonder if it's due to, you know, there are a lot of online companies popping up now and I wonder if that is causing a surge like women are not going to you know they go their gyn and perhaps they're gaslit so they're like okay what about you know there's a myriad of online companies doing this where they can get access to a doctor they pay a monthly fee and they get hormone prescriptions I'm not really sure where the shortage is coming from I know in the UK it's really wicked yeah. because Dr Newsom has blown it all out of the water god lover and Davina McCall also it's great so I'm not really sure why, but I would say this. It's interesting too. Insurance doesn't always cover. Like I got a DM from someone saying her insurance was going to charge her $500 for her monthly estrogen. And I said, it's going to be cheaper for you to go to a compounding pharmacy at this point. So the cost differential is a true thing. I do not want to dismiss anyone's challenges financially to accessing compounded hormones. However, understand often it's for a three month supply. So you may hear a number and say $90 for a prescription of estrogen. That's a lot, but understand it's $30 a month really. Mm -hmm. So, or buy estrogen. So do what you can work with, you know, compounding pharmacies or what's a cheaper way to make it? How can it, what's the least expensive form you could do for me? Try and work with your pharmacist that way or say if I buy in bulk, will I save money, you know, and try and get it done that way.
0: That's really helpful information. And I think for a lot of individuals Mm -hmm. over the generic progesterone works just fine. And for a lot of people, it does. And it's like five or $9 a month. So it's really inexpensive. You know, the estrogen patches tend to be pretty inexpensive. I think for every individual, it's really determining like, what do you need? What what's the right dosage for you? Where are you? Unfortunately, testosterone, there's no FDA approved testosterone for women. So that does have to be compounded, which I know a lot of physician voices in particular in this space are are speaking out against this and saying women need testosterone as well. And so, you know, I get all my stuff compounded. But having said that, there are lots of different ways and talk to the pharmacist. I find even for myself, every once in a while, my kids will get prescribed something that's outrageously expensive. And I'll talk to the pharmacist and say, what's the workaround? Or, you know, is there a way to do this less expensively? And actually, we found for my older son who has intermittently has eczema, there's a product that he's now on that is expensive. But if we buy three months worth, which it takes him an entire year to use it, it's the same. It's ridiculously inexpensive. And so I think that having an honest conversation with what's your budget, what can you afford to spend? What I do find interesting is, again, in countries, HRT is covered. And I think that as our voices continue to be magnified and We're doing more advocacy work. I would not be surprised if at some point there is some type of required insurance coverage for HRT, whether it's the standardized stuff that you just pick up at the pharmacy or a credit towards the compounded options. I think consumers are going to a large enough wave coming. I think women. Much like you know oral contraceptives back in the day when I used to use those, they were never covered by insurance, which to me was ridiculous. but then again, I'll make up the point that Viagra gets covered, which tells you that they're- there's definitely some right. patriarchal things that go on within insurance companies, but my hope and intention yes. is over time that we cover women's needs at their you know younger ages and at older ages, so that everyone good access to options.
1: Well, let's talk about well, a the birth control now you can get it over the counter basically it may not be covered, but you could get it over the counter. But b the testosterone workaround for now is that you can ask your doctor for what the version that gets prescribed to men at just a Tenth of the dose. And that can be, you know, physiologically more compatible and covered under insurance. So for now, that's an option for women, but it is tricky.
0: Yeah. And it depends on the clinician because I've had the experience where GYNs were like, no. And here's the other thing. You have to have a DA number. So some clinicians no longer have DA numbers because they're not prescribing drugs that are controlled. And so they literally cannot prescribe testosterone. And they're now monitoring prescriptions very closely. I had to a talk with Dr. Pam Smith and she was talking about how, and this is the segue into talking about pellets the fact that she's seeing so many young women having cardiovascular complications from being on pellet therapy because their testosterone levels are way super therapeutic, way beyond where they should be for a woman and how she's seeing young women that are coming in with heart attacks and other types of complications. And so now the DA is very carefully monitoring testosterone prescription supplementation. In fact, the last time I got my testosterone you know, my Dr. Hartman, who everyone knows, that's who I go to, he had written my prescription one way and the pharmacist had interpreted it another way. And it was this back and forth conversation with the pharmacy, because they were like, we're sorry to split hairs over this. But because of all this internal external scrutiny that's going on around testosterone, we have to be extra conscientious about clarification.
1: That's right. And that I heard Dr. Smith talk about that too. And yes, Mm -hmm. it's a real problem, the pellets and the injections. I have seen very few studies on pellets. And I went up to the bio rep at A4M. I said, where are your studies? Where's your clinical research? He said, oh, we don't need clinical research. We have thousands of people who've gone on it. I'm like, that's still not a controlled trial. I can tell you in my client population, you know, I've had one or two people who've done well on pellets. Everyone else, it has been an absolute disaster where they gain 10 pounds overnight. They are so enraged. They have lost hair on their head and grown it from their chin and their libido is so out of control. And like, you can laugh and be like, Oh, you you know, your partner's really lucky, but at a point it's like, it's really actually not fun or funny. And then The worst part is they get to wait a full six months before that is flushed out of the system. So why do you need physiologic doses in your 50s? You don't. And most of you have not had physiologic doses, even in your 20s, you don't. Number two, you know, only about 20 to 30% of women actually need testosterone apletion in menopause when you, and this is per Dr. Pam Smith, this is not my statistic, but about 50% of women don't need it at all. It's really not like some women have testosterone that is too high, right? And so it's really, you really do want to be very careful about inserting a pellet. And again, I'm like, show me more research. Even if there are a couple of studies done, that is just not enough. And I don't think clinicians are trained. I think they're getting patients are getting them through Medispas versus a real clinician. And I've also seen pellets where it's everything, it's testosterone, estrogen, (laughs) progesterone, all in one. I'm like, no, no, no. So the beauty, again, of transdermal or a compounded oral is you can tweak the dose the next hour, the next day, you know, it's, it's really easy to change your results and tweak, and it's much more couture versus off the rack, right? Now, FDA approved <laughs> <laughs> bioidenticals are off the rack, right? But you can still make them couture. If you have a patch where the dose is too high, you could talk to your doctor about cutting it in quarters, cutting it in half. You know, if you have a peanut allergy, you're taking Prometrium, which is in a base of peanut oil, and you can go to the pharmacy and say, Can you please put this in some olive oil or just remove the peanut oil or remove the dyes and it can be done. So you really can work the system, which is great. Which is why I'm so excited. Like you're talking about all this in the podcast because women need to know. I am going to write an ebook on this, like just an essential guide to hormones of like, What do you need to know? You know, hundreds of studies in the back to show your doctor because doctors, are terrified, a lot are terrified, and not to this day, not even taught mental care in medical schools. So imagine, and and it can feel really uncomfortable to confront a white coat about this, right? I don't really like confronting my doctors, that my choice is just to leave and find a functional doctor or practitioner. But let's say you wanna work the system, because you're like, these are my resources, I'm not going out of insurance to solve this problem. You can really say to your doctor, you know what, I've read the studies, here they are, right? I've got a hundred in the back of my book too. a layer, ovular, right? I've read the studies. Let me try for three months. I'm willing to take the risk. I'll sign a waiver. I'm not going to put any risk on you. Please let me try. I'm not sleeping. I've got a family history of dementia. I've got a really weak pelvic floor, and my quality of life really needs an upgrade. Can you please partner with me? Really hard for a doctor to say no when you're putting it like that because it's not threatening, putting it all on you. And you're coming at this thing. I've seen, even if you're not a clinical researcher, most of us are not, right? <laughs> but you can be like, dude, I'm telling you, I'll do the heavy lifting. Just please write me the prescription, please. And like, you know, open the door that way. And that doesn't feel confrontational, but it can absolutely get them to say yes. Now, again, if you can, you should really be with someone who is going to monitor you because a lot of doctors will just say, okay, here's your hormones. Bye. And then you're still going to be the one leading the charge, which you should not be responsible for your own medical care, but at least get your foot in the door until you figure out your next steps and take it from there. Do you find yourself
0: struggling to get a good night's sleep? in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water and you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.bminerals.com and use code CYNTHIA for 20% off your first order. That's www.bminerals.com and use code CYNTHIA for 20% off your first order. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. That's such an important point. That's why I'm always such a huge fan of advocacy, education, empowerment, so that any woman that's listening knows that they don't have to suffer and that they can have those conversations. I mean, unfortunately, I would imagine most, if not all of us have been gaslit at some point and, you know, use it as an opportunity to say, okay, okay. I'm going to ask my girlfriends who they like going to, or as you mentioned, very appropriately, there are now telemedicine options. And I oftentimes like to talk about Joy J-O-I. And we have a a relationship with them that if I have someone who can't find a physician or a nurse practitioner or PA or midwife in their area, that will fill in the gap and people can get access to the things that they're looking for. Let's pivot and talk about some of the uncommon symptoms that women get in perimenopause and menopause that no one thinks are attributable to sex hormones, but interestingly enough, are. And so I'm going to start with frozen joints, because I have a girlfriend that I went to high school with who called me a couple weeks ago and saying, like, I'm very physically active. And I just woke up one day and my left shoulder is completely frozen. And so understanding that that in and of itself can be a sign of low estrogen It can be the sign of an autoimmune condition. It could be a sign, which is probably all the above, of some inflammation. We know 70% of autoimmunity occurs in women, really starts to escalate a bit when we're in perimenopause and menopause. Do you see a lot of frozen shoulders in your patient population?
1: I don't, but I see them in my girlfriends, right? And they're having, you know, sports injuries and tears and just, yeah, the frozen shoulders. And they've never been to a chiropractor in their life. They've never understood, like, And I'm like, dude, it's the hormones, you know, Mm -hmm. it it is low estrogen, and it can be low testosterone. And by the way, like people who are overusing testosterone can have in their younger years can have wicked joint issues. By the time they're older, there's no synovial fluid left. Mm-hmm. So yes, frozen shoulder is a big one. Itchy nose, itchy ears, and itchy skin is another one that I'm like, you know, again, fluid changes, neurological changes are another big one. And I just want to give a shout out to anxiety and depression and ADD because those changes in brain biochemistry are not only due to a drop in estrogen, estrogen plays a primary role, but testosterone and progesterone also play a tremendous role in cognition, in mood, in memory, learning. Like they all work on different compartments and different pathways in the brain. And certainly a progesterone deficiency is going to leave your poor dopamine receptors and your GABA levels just so hungry, so thirsty, for more hormones. And again, this is why it gets really tricky when doctors are putting women on IUDs and birth control for treating as a menopausal treatment because those two products contain synthetic progestogens, which do not hit up the GABA receptors in the brain. Only bioidentical progesterone will hit up the GABA receptors in the brain. So let's say you're on the pill, the IUD, and you started it in perimenopause or after kids, and you're like, I don't want to upset the apple cart. I don't want to go off it. I have plenty of clients who add in bioidentical progesterone while that IUD or even is in place, or while they're still taking the birth control pill, you can still add in and stack up bioidentical progesterone and testosterone on both of those products. And then when you're ready to take out the IUD or stop the pill, you add in bioidentical estrogen. So it's really Hormones are really an incredible thing. And as for the ADD, also a lot of women are being prescribed Adderall, they're being prescribed Zoloft, neither of those, just because you're in perimenopause doesn't mean you suddenly developed ADD. It just means your brain biochemistry needs to be addressed and your gut biochemistry needs to be addressed. We have massive gut changes in perimenopause, the lining of the small intestine changes with the decline in progesterone and estrogen, right? So foggy gut or leaky gut, I should say leaky brain, right? So when we... Really work on optimizing gut function of healing that gut wall, cutting back wine, ladies, cutting back alcohol, which is going to just like keep poking holes in that leaky gut, right? Cleaning up your diet, getting in probiotics, getting in red polyphenols, you know, your cherries and your berries and your cranberries which will also help support preventing UTIs. All of that builds and fiber, of course, all of that builds a really healthy gut microbiome, which will also support that really nice focus and clarity in the brain.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You bring up a lot of good points. I'm actually interviewing Dr. Gundry this afternoon talking about his new book. And he talks a lot about specifically, you know, he calls them the gut buddies, but the interrelationship between polyphenols and shortchange fatty acids, and how that influences the gut microbiome vis-a-vis things like estrogen. So the estrobilome, which I know my listeners are familiarized with, it's unbelievable how many changes occur in the gut microbiome just related to the shifts in estrogen. It is, I'm down like a nerdy. Like a very, very nerdy <laughs> pathway right now, learning about this. And I'm like, it's humbling how much changes. Other things I wanted to mention are vertigo. I'm yes. seeing a lot of vertigo. Vertigo oh, yeah. is dizziness. You know, I saw a ton of it in cardiology, most yeah. of it benign. Occasionally, these be things that are not benign, but common to see that within a low estradiol state, ringing in the ear. So, tinnitus. This is something I started experiencing and never, ever, ever did the ear, nose and throat specialist who is amazing ever say to me, oh, by the way, because of your age, it might be that low estrogen is driving some of your symptoms. So that's been interesting to experience. I know that we talked a little bit about bladder urgency and incontinence and those kinds of things. But, you know, the other big overarching theme is pain, chronic I was inflammation. Say, yes. Pain. You know, how many women have chronic pain, whether it's it, they've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which to me is really a sign of something else that hasn't been picked up. I think fibromyalgia is like when all else fails, we don't know what else to diagnose you with. That's what you get is that it's a real diagnosis. But I'm just saying, yes. I think there's oftentimes something else that's at play. But the yes. chronic pain, piece for a lot of women is debilitating. Because if you're in chronic pain, you're not going to move your body, you're going to struggle to do normal activities of daily living, you're probably not going to make the same food choices, because you don't feel good, you may get dependent on medication. And you know, I think, Without jumping off onto a tangential conversation, I think in this day and age, when we are dealing with an opioid crisis, I think women are still being overprescribed certain types of medications that can lead to other issues that they have to deal with. So the chronic pain piece, which in many ways, I can't tell you how many women have just gone on an estradiol patch and all of a sudden their knee pain goes away, their shoulder pain goes away, the chronic ankle pain they've been dealing with, you know, the physical therapy that has gotten them nowhere. And I'm not in any way saying that I don't believe in physical therapy. I do. But if the reason why you're having all these aches and pains is the changes to the sex hormones, I think that's quite significant.
1: Yes. And partnering with that, again, with the changes in your gut. I have a lot of my clients, even if they don't have a leaky gut or a gluten sensitivity on the tests, I'm like just ditch gluten or grains for three months or dairy. And we do some elimination dieting to really see. And then when they reintroduce it, they're like, Oh my God, my joints were so inflamed. I had a gluten exposure. And I was so inflamed after that. So again, often our guts, right? Checks that our bodies cannot cash at after a certain point in midlife. And it really warrants addressing for sure. But the hormones, yes, I agree. I mean, the progesterone too, it is a game changer with that inflammation and those swollen joints, especially like the hips and knees and the fingers. I see like a lot of women are like, my hands are so puffy. My joints really are swollen and achy and on hormones, they're like, wow, it's just tremendous. And again, like people say, what are the benefits of hormones? We can list a thousand, but under the umbrella of quality of life, that is, it is that simple. Why We all deserve exquisite menopause care. Why are we shortchanged in this department? It really doesn't make sense because let's face it, ladies, we're the ones who get the shit done anyway. So you better be supporting us so we can you know, run the world as we do right now.
0: Yeah, no, such a good point. And one thing that I found interesting is there are now some over-the-counter tests. So women are always asking me, how do I know where I am? Am I close to menopause? Am I still in perimenopause, especially for the women that have IUDs or they've had an ablation, they're not getting cycles every month. I just learned about, remember Clear Blue Easy, which was a pregnancy test. There's now a Clear Blue stage indicator testing that will give you multiple day testing of your FSH. And for some individuals, there's actual like research behind this, but it's an over-the-counter test that you can pick up and test in your urine. What could potentially be going on which I thought was really really interesting and for anyone that's listening what is the FSH it's follicular stimulating hormone it's a hormone that's excreted in the hypothalamus but is a chemical messenger slash hormone that is telling the ovaries to release to release an egg and so as we're getting closer and closer and closer to menopause that number starts to go up and it actually will go up and at an accelerated pace as our estrogen levels are starting to plummet and so if you get a blood test, with an FSH greater than 25, you're there. If you do this home test, and I have no affiliation with this. I just kind of stumbled upon this as I was preparing for this podcast, clear blue stage indicator testing. That's another thing that you can look at. And I learned from Dr. Jolene Brighton about the anti-malarian hormone AMH, which is a measure of ovarian reserve or primordial follicles. And she has some really interesting information on her website. She has an actual graph that kind of looks at, you know, what are the ranges we expect to see at certain stages of our lives? Obviously, peak fertility, you want the number higher. But after the age of 45, it might be less than 0.5 nanograms per milliliter. So really teeny tiny amounts, but it's that measure of ovarian function. So if you're trying to get pregnant at 45, it's going to be a whole lot harder than it was at 30. And that's a function of many factors. But I thought that was really interesting. Are there tests that you're also looking at when your ladies come to you and they're just curious, where am I on this perimenopause menopause journey?
1: No, those are it. And then I of course, look at the Dutch test, it was- which Mm -hmm. won't tell you your egg reserve, but it's going to tell you, you know, again, I don't recommend doctors ever, and no doctor really does, but I don't recommend you prescribe hormone dosages based on the Dutch, but it gives you a really nice overall picture of what your hormone production is like. Again, if you're on the pill or IUD, you're not going to have a true baseline. But it also looks at, what I love is it looks at how hormones move through your liver. So your phase one and phase two detox, it can pick up some subclinical hypothyroidism, looks at your HPA axis and your sleep, whether you're deficient in B6 and B12, a glutathione, a melatonin. So it can be another really, really helpful test. But I want to know how accurate are those clear blue easy tests? Like what's the accuracy? That's what I want to figure out.
0: Yeah, I didn't. So last night when I was looking at, because there was another clinician who had brought it to my attention. So that was the first <laughs> rabbit hole I went down. There is actual <laughs> research on it and it appears okay. to be fairly accurate. And right. I, I thought, yeah, with five tests, you'll get a sense. So if yeah. you're someone that's in the middle of perimenopause, it'll probably be not as accurate as someone that's probably at the tail end of perimenopause. Having said that, to me, for someone to be able to go to the store, and buy a test to get a sense of where they are when their doctor says to them, I'm not going to test your FSH. There's no point in doing that. And I say all the time, I think the first time I had my FSH tested, it was like 50. And I was like, oh, okay. I know for sure. There's no question where I am, but my provider had no problems ordering it. But for people that are listening, they might get some pushback. And so you know, maybe this is a way to circumvent you know, kind of that traditional modality. But there's also direct labs, own your labs. Those are two companies. I have no affiliation with either of them. You can go and you can order your own labs. Now, the challenge when you order your own labs is that you then need someone to interpret them if you don't know how to do that. So that's always the kind of sticky wicket that you deal with. But I think for a lot of individuals, they like having a sense of what's going on. They want to be proactive. And so an FSH is certainly a standard test. The AMH, depending on your provider, that may be something they're not as familiar with. But if they're a GYN, or they're doing, you know, medical endocrinology or they're functional or integrative in terms of their approach, they probably are ordering those on occasion. But certainly the clear blue product is something you can buy over the counter. And I think for some people, they're curious, they want that information sooner rather than yeah. later.
1: Yeah, and power to the people. Like, I mean, I applaud these companies for, you know, at least putting the health, our own health into our own hands, if we can't get it from our practitioners. Yes.
0: Any last words on things that you're using, supplements that are new to you, anything that you're finding is particularly efficacious for your patients and clients? I always feel like there's always something new that I'm kind of playing yes. around with to see if I like it.
1: Yes, I'm really excited. I've actually just gone through my third iteration of producing supplements that I will be putting out this year in 2024 based on, you know, the thousand or so Dutch and GI map tests that I've seen and people who I've treated and what comes up the most. What are the most commonly prescribed supplements that I'm using to help women on HRT or help women who are not detoxing their hormones well, but want to start HRT. So let's give a shout out to our gorgeous glutathione, girl. Glutathione, it's the liver's most potent antioxidant. Um, It is used to help treat Lyme, mold, long COVID, but it also helps estrogen move through the liver beautifully. And we produce less of it as we age. We definitely need more. And It is so energizing, like no one takes glutathione and feels more tired (laughs) unless they have a very high toxic burden and it's too much detoxing at once. But glutathione is a wonderful overall systemic antioxidant. It's something I believe everyone should have exposure to. And then of course, I love the adaptogenic herb ashwagandha. So adaptogenic herbs really build your body's Resilience to stress. They're not meant for you to take so you can take on more stress. They are meant to help rebalance, especially that beautiful HPA axis, that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which really is a good barometer to stress and hormone status. So when our stress is really high and our adrenal output is low, we can have a very low cortisol curve. But in the absence of hormones, we can also have a very low cortisol curve. So, as women go on HRT, often it is paired with adrenal support to really, you know, push them up the hill and then the hormones help them stay there. But in that transitory time, we do need adrenal support because in menopause, what most people don't realize is the ovary, the ovarian production of hormones winds completely down and it's almost like a switch is flipped and the adrenals all of a sudden say, hey, I'm I'm going to hand these over." Over to me. I'm going to handle your hormone production now and just puts out a very small amount of hormones. So if you go into menopause stress, which please, who isn't, we have aging parents and teenagers simultaneously, and our careers are often taking off because we paid our dues long and hard, or we're having like a midlife reinvention where we've been home with the kids and then say, what's next for me? So it's really great. Ashwagandha really helps support your adrenals as you go through these transitions. And it's a wonderful sleep support as well. If you find you're on hormones, but you're still waking up a lot and yet you can wake up a lot with a low cortisol curve or a very high nighttime cortisol curve. So ashwagandha really helps balance that out.
0: No, I love those. I think it's important for people to do some degree of experimentation. I always say I'm my biggest experiment in progress all the time. And for me, I think one of the most important products that I've probably used in the last year is Tudka. And so initially people come to you and it's an acronym for a very long word that I'm not going to attempt to to (laughs) state because I will probably mangle it. But (laughs) TUDCA, initially I started taking it to help with detoxification support, help with biliary support. And then I was reading an incredible article talking about the role of Tudka in brain health, because there's this Mm. interplay between our enteric second brain, which is our gut and the brain. And so for me, I think Tudka has been one of these products that I, I use sparingly and only in people that it's appropriate. For, but I think for me has really been instrumental in helping to heal my gut which has been a long road. It's almost five years since I was hospitalized. It's hard to believe it feels like it's gone by like that. And yet I'm realizing that I think it's honestly taken probably four and a half, five years to get my gut back to a level of homeostasis. But as we've mentioned today, as we're making this transition from perimenopause into menopause, there's a lot of changes that go on. There are a lot of things that change and shift, they don't have to be negative. And certainly, I think you and I both live a life of transparency, you know, sharing that the funny things and then sharing the things that we're frustrated with and finding ways to adapt and to find a reframe, which I think is so helpful. Please let listeners know how to connect with you on social media, how to get access to your books. And you mentioned you've got a a resource that you're working on for your community. When do you think that will be available?
1: Oh my gosh. I hope soon. It's just been a labor of love. And so hopefully, you know, by the end of Q1, for sure. So come hang with me on Instagram at gorgeous Esther. And my website is estherblum.com. And if you would like access to my 14 day metabolic menopausal meal plan, you can go to estherblum.com forward slash recipes and grab two weeks worth of meal planning. So you don't have to think about ways to really optimize your lean muscle, optimize your body composition, but also not overstress your digestive system.
0: I love it. Thank you again, my friend. Thank you. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend.